the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Joshua. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. It is important for every single one of us never to forget the goodness of God. We as human beings have a propensity to forget even the good things. And so it is important for us to never forget the good things that God does. Because guess what? You're going to need it for the next time. Because you're going to be able to rely on, oh, that's right, God was faithful then. He's going to be faithful now. But when you forget His faithfulness, then you fear the present situation. Faith builds upon faith. When you see the hand of God, remember that. Isn't it so easy to lose sight of everything God has done for us? We get self-centered and focused on the here and now of our existence. In today's message, Pastor Gary will remind you to not forget what God has brought you through and done for you. When you are facing a new trial, it is so important to remember the trials God has led you through. Then you will know there is nothing to fear. Your God has proved before, and He will prove once again that He is bigger than anything you may face. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Joshua, chapter 4, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. We're here in verse 10 of Joshua, chapter 4. And uh, just to orient ourselves again with where we left off last, God has delivered the Israelites after 400 years of slavery. And he has worked on the reluctant heart of Pharaoh of Egypt through a series of 10 plagues to finally let his people go, God's people. But because of their disobedience, they would spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness in the Egyptian Sinai before they would eventually make it to the promised land. And the one to take him in the promised land would not be Moses, but it would be his protege, Joshua, Yeshua, Yahashua. His name means the Lord is salvation. And so when the Israelites leave Egypt and they come up uh, across the Sinai Peninsula underneath the Dead Sea, and they're going to enter the promised land, they're going to enter Israel uh, going from uh, east to west, but they uh, will first camp at a place called Shittim. In the Hebrew, in the New King James, it translates acacia grove. It's, a, it's a, a shrub, it's a small tree, it's a flowering tree. And there were obviously many of them in this area because it was called Shittim, meaning acacia grove. And so that's where the Israelites will settle at first. Now there's three, three and a half million of them. And in order to get into the promised land, they have to cross the Jordan River. They're going to go uh, across the Jordan River, and eventually they're going to take Jericho. But how are they going to get across the river? And so God instructs Joshua to tell the priests that they are to carry the Ark of the Covenant 
uh, hoisting it on their shoulders, this sacred object that was a representation of the presence of God. And the priests were to go to the Jordan River, put their toes in the Jordan River. And the Bible says in Joshua, it was at flood stage. And so they were going to trust God, put their feet into the Jordan River. And as soon as they did, the Bible says that God rolled back the waters of the Jordan River up to a city called Adam, which is about 16 miles to the north. Now, why would God roll back the river for 16 miles? Why not just, you know, 100 yards or something? Because there's three to three and a half million Jews who are trying to cross the Jordan River. And if it was only small enough for two to go abreast, there's three and a half million of them. Two abreast would make a line that was 800 miles. It would take them a month to get across the Jordan River. So God opens up a swath, and if 5,000 would march abreast, it would be a swath of about three miles, and they could do it in a day. So do your math. If 10,000 abreast, they could do it in a half a day. 15,000 abreast, they could do it in, you know, just a few hours. And so God rolls it back 16 miles to allow them to cross over in a matter of a few hours. Because what the Bible tells us is that the priest stood in the middle of the Jordan River, now it's dry ground, holding up the Ark of the Covenant, and the people would pass by while the priest would stand there in the middle of the Jordan River with the Ark of the Covenant covenant hoisted on their shoulders. After everybody crossed over, then the priests themselves went and then the waters rolled back. But God um, did this miracle to allow them to cross over into the promised land on dry ground. And God also instructed Joshua that he was to take 12 stones from the dry riverbed of the Jordan uh, to take across to the to the western side of the Jordan River and pile them up, these 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel, and that they were to do the same at the location where the priest stood in the middle of the Jordan River so that they would never forget what God did at this spot. And that when the children would ask, what is this pile of 12 stones here on the bank of the Jordan River, that the fathers would be able to declare to them the mighty hand of God. And the 12 stones piled up in the middle of the Jordan River, you know, to this day, no one has discovered, but they're there somewhere, unless over time it's washed away, but I suspect it's still standing there. Between Shittim and Jericho, though, we're going to read here tonight in chapter 4 that there's a town called Gilgal. And Gilgal will serve to be the base of operation for their offensive against the city of Jericho. And so that's where we left off here at verse 10. Uh, Because Gilgal is such a prominent location throughout the rest of chapter 4 and into chapter 5, we're going to be looking at different things that Gilgal can teach us as a location because of different things that transpired there that are still important for us to notice even today. So in Joshua chapter 4, verse 10, it says, So the priests who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hurried, you know, because they're probably wondering, how long is the water going to stay back? And the people hurried and crossed over. And then it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over, that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. 
And the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. Now, by the way, you remember that there, again, are 12 tribes to Israel. But two and a half of these tribes requested that their land allotment be on the eastern side of the Jordan River, which today on a map is Jordan. And Moses agreed to this. But Joshua instructed them, the, the tribes of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh, you guys can stay over here on the eastern side of the Jordan River. That's fine. But you have to help your brothers and sisters when they go into the promised land to defeat the people that are there ahead of them. So you have to at least go over and fight for them. And then after they have secured the land, you can go back over to the eastern side of the Jordan River and you can live there. And so the tribes of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh went over. They crossed over, and it tells us there were 40,000 between those two and a half tribes. There were 40,000 fighting men who were armed for battle. They cross over with their brothers and sisters as they enter now into the promised land, into the land of Israel. And it says in verse 14 that on that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. You know, again, consider, this has got to be a difficult thing for Joshua because Moses was a prominent leader. He was known and seen, and the Bible says that Moses was a prophet of God. And those are some big sandals to fill. You know, if you come along after Moses, not so easy to get the respect of the people that they had for Moses. I mean, this is a hard act to follow, if you will. But yet Joshua was obedient. He followed in Moses' footsteps. God raised up Joshua to be the one to actually take the people into the promised land. And just Just as Moses had taken the people led by God out of slavery in Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, now it was Joshua's turn. And when the waters parted of the Jordan River and Joshua takes over the Israelites into the promised land, and remember, these people had never stepped foot in the promised land before. Only their ancestors had. For the last 400 years, these people have been slaves in Egypt. So this generation that comes out of Egypt dies in the wilderness. Their children actually enter the promised land. And these folks had never been there before. So when they step foot into the promised land, a fulfillment of God's promise, then God turns their hearts with respect to Joshua. And in that day, God exalted Joshua in their sight and they feared him. They had a healthy fear. It's it's a respect that they had for Joshua. Boy, he's our leader. He's actually delivered. He actually took us into the promised land. And so they exalted him. They respected him. They feared him in that day. And verse 15 says, And then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. And Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass, when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet touched the dry land, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. What a sight that must have been. You know, to see God roll back the water because the priest touched the water with their feet in obedience to what God had said. And then they're standing now safely on the western bank of the Jordan River. And they're looking back now and the priests then come out from the Jordan on the, on, onto the shoreline there and then God rolls the water back. I mean, what a sight to behold here. And it says in verse 
uh, 19. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they camped in, here's the word, Gilgal. Here's the town, Gilgal, on the east border of Jericho. Okay, so again, as the map shows you, they crossed the Jordan River, but before they get to Jericho, they camp at Gilgal. So Gilgal is located to the east of Jericho. And it says in verse 20, And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. And then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So if you're taking notes, there's a couple of things that Gilgal teaches us. Gilgal, number one, is a place for remembering. It's a place for remembering because these 12 stones were to be a constant reminder to them of what God had done, the faithfulness of God to deliver them into the promised land just as he had promised. And it is important for every single one of us never to forget the goodness of God. We as human beings have a propensity to forget even the good things. And so it is important for us to never forget the good things that God does because guess what? You're going to need it for the next time. Because you're going to be able to rely on, oh, that's right, God was faithful then, he's going to be faithful now. But when you forget his faithfulness, then you fear the present situation. Faith builds upon faith. When you see the hand of God, remember that. And so Joshua set up these 12 stones there in Gilgal, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel, as a reminder to them to remember the faithfulness of God. And I want you to notice that in particular, verse 21 says that then he spoke to the children of Israel saying, when your children ask their fathers in time, saying, what are these stones? Then you shall let your children know. So, men, listen, if if you are a godly man with children, it is your responsibility, not solely, okay, because... Moms can contribute in wonderful ways to the spiritual development and nurturing of of your children. But the responsibility rests squarely on the shoulders of the fathers. You know statistically how many men are in jail because they didn't have a father. The father figure is critical in culture. The father figure is critical for the family. Now, you know, whenever I talk in these terms, I'm quickly reminded, look, obviously not every family has a father. And some of you ladies are doing double duty as single moms, trying to be a a mom and and a dad, and because you're the only one in the household. And the Bible reminds us that God is a father to the fatherless. And so God will help you, and God will minister to your children. Um, and God will provide other godly men who will be influential in the lives of your children to help. But that aside for the moment, where there's a family, where a dad is someone who loves Jesus, your responsibility is to help raise your kids in the ways of the Lord. 
And that falls on the dads. When the children ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? Then the dads are to speak up and say, well, this is where Israel crossed over on dry ground. This is where God did a mighty thing. And don't you ever forget the faithfulness of God. So this is a responsibility that we as men, as dads, need to own in the spiritual um, leadership, the loving spiritual leadership of the next generation. And I love the way the chapter ends, that all the peoples of the earth may know, may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Well, into chapter 5, so it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, closer to the Mediterranean, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. Now, you're going to find in this passage, and um, remember when we were reading about Rahab back in in chapter 2, that God's reputation precedes him. And that people hear, this is why they're going to be judged, because they hear about the mighty hand of God, but they do nothing in response to the mighty hand of God. They don't surrender to God. They, their hearts melt, they're afraid. These kings of the Amorites, the kings of the Canaanites, you know, it says that their hearts melted. There's no spirit left in them because of the children of Israel, but they do nothing to surrender themselves to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But for the meantime here, God's reputation has preceded him. And so these kings on the earth here in the, in the Canaanites and the Amorites, they're, they're all fearful. And so you're going to see here in a moment, this is a good thing because um, what God tells Joshua to do here with the Jewish men in particular, it's good that these kings, these enemy kings, are going to be paralyzed with fear because the guys here are going to need some time to recover. What am I talking about? Read on. Verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. Now, it isn't that one guy got circumcised twice. That's not possible. What it means is, you know, there was a generation that came out of Egypt and they were circumcised, but now this is a whole other generation. And apparently for the last 40 years, as they've been wandering in the wilderness, the next generation of men were never circumcised. Now they've come into the promised land and God gives this directive. I want there to be consecration before there can be conquest. I want you to draw near to me and I want you to purify yourselves. And part of this sign of the covenant of God is circumcision. Now, point number two is that Gilgal represented a place of recommitting their lives with circumcision. Now, let me just talk about this a little bit. And, uh, you know, this this is not going to be like biology 101, but I am going to talk about it from a biblical standpoint, because when we talk about circumcision and covenant, you know, you might look at that and think, what in the world is happening here? Let me read on and explain. Verse 3, and so Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. I mean, that's what happens when you circumcise a few million guys. Um, (laughs) Verse 4, and this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. 
All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. So that was the first generation who were circumcised. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then Joshua circumcised their sons, whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. All right, now, your attention. Here's the deal. In order to understand the purpose of circumcision, you have to understand covenant. God made a covenant. There were a few different types of covenant throughout the Old Testament. And there's one great new covenant in the New Testament. But one covenant in particular that God made was in Genesis chapter 17 with Abraham. When a covenant is made, and by the way, a covenant is a unilateral, unconditional promise that God makes. I'll say it again for you note takers. A covenant is a unilateral, unconditional promise that God makes, all right? And when God makes a promise, he never breaks his promise. And he seals it, the signature is an oath, and the covenant often involved the shedding of blood as the signature of that oath that God makes. Unconditional, unilateral. When God made a covenant with Abraham, the covenant was that there was a people that would be born out of the seed of Abraham. That would end up being, of course, the Jewish people. And from that race of people would come a Messiah. As part of the covenant that God made with Abraham, it was not only about a people, it was also about a place. Because in Genesis 15, 18, God promised on oath to Abraham and his descendants a place to live. And that place to live was the territory between the Nile River and the Euphrates River, approximately 300,000 square miles. Israel today only has 8,130 square miles. They've never fully taken the place that God intended when he made on oath to the descendants of Abraham that territory. Now listen to me on this. You know, right now in the news, out of Gaza have been fired more than 1,000 rockets into Israel. And the basis behind it, Say what you might. I got Palestinian friends too. I'm uh, compassionate towards them as well. But say what you might about how this latest struggle started. To be firing a thousand rockets is overkill. And why is it overkill? Because at the end of the day, Hamas in particular does not believe that Israel should be entitled to the land. The problem is that God swore on oath to the descendants of Abraham, to the Jewish people, that the land was part of the covenant. And God spells it out with the borders. So we should be praying for the Israelis. We should be praying for the Palestinians. It's always a very difficult thing to see this conflict, but it traces all the way back to Ishmael and Isaac, okay? Um, And by the way, you know, as much as all of us would want to see peace, The reality is peace in the Middle East is not going to happen until the Prince of Peace comes. So we should continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem because the Bible instructs us to do that. 
and we should have compassion for people who are caught in the crossfire. But if man tries to settle this, uh, man's just going to make it worse. I'm I'm sorry to say, Um, even as much as, you know, President Trump tried to bring some peace to the Middle East region, which was really ushered the whole peace process that he attempted to implement was really brought about by his son-in-law, okay, by Jared Kushner. And the problem is that part of the peace process was to give up land for peace. Land for peace has never worked. And it's never worked because when God on oath as a covenant uh, makes 300,000 square miles part of the title deed, and then people say, no, give up your 8,100 square miles, it just never works, you see. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the eventful book of Joshua. After years of wandering in the wilderness, the Israelite people would finally get to enter into the promised land. What would it be like? What would their future hold? There were so many unknowns that they were entering into, yet God had promised He would bless them. Entering a new season of anything can be a bit daunting and even scary. But there's a reason that God continually reminded Joshua in this book to be strong and courageous. God would be with them, and He's with you too, as you face new challenges and situations. Do you like the message you heard today? Want to listen to more just like it? At cornerstoneconnection.cc, you can listen to additional teachings from this series in Joshua. If you'd like to get in touch with us and ask for prayer about things you're wrestling through or even struggling to be strong and courageous in, feel free to email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to pray for you. With that, our time is about up for today, but we look forward to sharing more from the book of Joshua. So come back for more with Pastor Gary here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.